Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. This is part two of Traumatic Birth Experiences. In part one, I discussed with Kim my experiences with labor and delivery. We left off with my having had one successful VBAC and I was on my third labor and delivery where the baby was breached. Please go back and listen to part one as this episode picks right up when the doctors are telling me that my baby was breached and was not in a position for me to push him out. I hope you enjoy this episode. He's not turning. Wow. And how big was he in utero? He was big. I mean, they all came out six something. I think my biggest was my last one, which he was like seven, eight or something like that. But they were big enough that they couldn't turn on their own. So this is when I learned about an ECV, external cephalic version, which is when they go in and flip the baby on their own, like from the outside. So I was 37 and a half weeks. Um, Two days later, I was sent to the hospital. I had all of my stuff with me because sometimes the ECVs can uh, trigger labor. So I was uh, prepared. And so they tried to flip them five... uh, was it five or three times? I think it was five times. It was a significant enough number that he flipped right back every time. Who flipped him? Was it the nurse or the doctor? No, it was the physician. The physician oh. came in. They gave me something to relax me. It wasn't painful. Mm-hmm. It was pressure. You just feel pressure. So they flipped him. You know, they like do a thing with the belly and they flip him whatever clockwise. So they would go in. They did, a, they did an ultrasound just to see where he was at. I think he was like facing like this. Mm-hmm. He was transverse. I think this is called. I'm not sure. So he was facing like that. So they would flip him in a way that just like this. So the head would be quicker instead of doing all the way around. So that's how they tried it to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then they tried to counterclockwise because he wouldn't stay. So by the time I went into the hospital with him, I had had one uh, Webster's technique with a chiropractor that my OBGYN sent me to. They sent me to a chiropractor that was special that specialized in Webster's technique for breech babies. And so with my chiropractor, they were saying that my hips and I've had, I had, it was in a car accident when I was like 12. And mm-hmm. I think that has since, you know, I had three slip discs. Um, mm-hmm. so over the years, I have to stay with my workouts and stuff to keep my back strong and make sure that things stay aligned. Um, and there was a lot going on in my life at that time. So I don't think I was working out the way I should have been. So my hips were misaligned. So it, what they believed is that when he was going down, it was like uncomfortable. So he just kept them bobbing back up. So mm-hmm. she was mm-hmm. trying to get my hips to realign. So mm-hmm. when they went, when I went in, like she measured my leg and she was like, yeah, one of them's longer than the other, the chiropractor. And then, <laughs> so she, um, was like, that's why he's not staying down. And that's why the um, external cephalic version did not work. I had one session with her before they had the ECV. I had the ECV, you know, they tried three or five times. They flipped him. Um, He did not want to stay down. And then so afterwards, I had one or two more sessions with the um, chiropractor. And then so I went into labor. I had a session a night before, like the late afternoon before I went into labor. I actually went into labor that night and didn't realize it. And I went into full labor that morning, the next day at around 10 o'clock. The reason why I didn't realize it, because my last two were actual, like full on, I feel this labor. 
Hem, it was more like a zip, zap, like, you know, the little, um, if you've ever been to a chiropractor or a physical therapist and they've used like these little tins, um, the tens unit things, units, yeah. yeah, that's how it felt like it was like, zip, but it was happening every five minutes and then it went down to every two minutes. But I was like, this can't be labor, is it? Hmm. Feel it like that. So I called my, um, OBGYN and they were like girl you need to head that to the hospital now because he's breached and mm. we, we don't know we don't want this to be crazy so went down to the hospital I was actually in labor I was admitted and how they were, far along dilated were you oh probably three four <laughs> I've never crazy until this last one this last one I waited forever before I went in but so they admitted me and she was like we can try to flip you again, or we can go straight to C-section. I was like, let's try to flip again. So we went into the um, operating room because they were like, once we flip, things may go left real fast. So we want to make sure that we have everything in place. So they flipped me in the operating room. I had to have an epidural because really? they, they ha- I had to have an epidural because if it goes left real fast, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. about yeah. to cut me. And I am not getting cut without an epidural. So I had an epidural and she was like, but for us to give you an epidural, you're, you have to really be in pain. Something she was saying, because she was like, the anesthesiologist is going to come and she's going to, he's going to ask you several questions. And if you're not moaning and groaning, Uh like, I'm going to be pushing you down towards this operating room. And I need you to start being in pain because I was not in pain. Mm. Here I am. Ooh. She was like, I don't believe you. This is what she was whispering in my ear as she's rolling. She was like, I don't believe you. (laughs) So I had to really be in pain. And then when I got into the operating room, because I'm such a, I'm such a, you know, easygoing person. I was sitting here trying to be in pain and not laugh in this anesthesiologist's face so he can believe that I was in pain so he can give me this epi so that they weren't, they weren't trying to do things real fast. Mm-hmm. If things did mm-hmm. go left. So got my epidural. And so in the operating room, and it was freezing in there. I remember it was freezing. She flipped him. He stayed. Because again, mm-hmm. by then I had three sessions with the chiropractor. He stayed and she's like, for good measure, I need a belt, something. And, you know, let's find something so we can tie her down. I've shared pictures of this before on Instagram. Let me tie her down, tie her belly down so he has no room to to move. So we couldn't find a belt, but we found um, robes, like hospital gowns. And you know, those things, you can, they're thin enough that you can tie them. So she tied two of them together, tied that around my waist, like above, like right underneath my breasts and to keep him down. And he stayed down. And four hours later, I pushed him out. Wow. So with him, I had slow dose at Pitocin because they wanted to, I guess, make it progressive enough so that he can come out and not have time to flip back up if that was going to happen. So I okayed that. And I was like, can we not do a regular dose? Can we do something different? And she was like, yeah, of course. So they did like a slow drizzle of it, whatever it was of the Pitocin and it worked. He was out. Nice. He was out. And, and this is the pregnancy that my, my um, 
my best friend, she is a music therapist. And mm -hmm. so she has this program where she goes with you during the prenatal period. And then even during the hospitalization, like when you're in labor and delivery, instead of having a doula, you can have her come in. So mm -hmm. I, had, I went through her program. So I don't, all that was relaxing. So we had created music for him. We had created a playlist and her right. voice was very soothing. So she was there with us and she, my mom didn't make it to this one. This is the only one that my mom didn't make it to the actual hospital because he came in earlier mm -hmm. than, because we had already booked tickets and all that stuff. And he came, you know, at the bright 37 and a half, 38 mm -hmm. weeks, something like that. So that was the experience with him. That's interesting. That is interesting. So you went from a C-section to a V-back, to, v -back. to a breach. No, I went to a C-section, a V-back, yeah, to a V-back, a breached that was also a V-back. V-back. And then so my Number friend, four. he was a V-back as well. He was, he may have been like the easiest labor and delivery, I think. Um, but with him, you know, by then y'all, as y'all can see, I've had three boys. So I'm like, this girl is a coming. She's coming. <laughs> this was a different pregnancy in the sense that I had traces of protein oh, in, in, my, um, in my urine. Wow. And so that's, there's like three things that they look at to say that you may be at risk for preeclampsia. So it's protein in your urine. It's retaining fluids. It's um, high you blood were, pressure. You were like, I don't know you. Well, I haven't seen you for the first three, but I remember that pregnancy, you were puffy. I was puffy. I was puffy, huh. but I was not pitting edema. Mm. I didn't have pitting edema. I didn't have high blood pressure. I just had the protein in my urine, mm -hmm. but they made me stay home because by then I was really fully into my practice. I was consulting all over Dane, Georgia, driving mm -hmm. an hour and a half to this place, that place, along with, you know, seeing patients um, or clients one-on-one. -on -one. So I was doing a lot mm -hmm. and they sat me down. They were like, girl, you can't be driving anymore. Your feet needs to be not hanging for an hour and a half. And that's what wow. it's doing in the car. So I was on some kind of modified bed rest. And so, you know, being the background and being Haitian, you know, my mom was like, protein and urine, girl, we about to take that out. So I was doing all kinds of green um, drinks. I was putting parsley in my, um, in the blender, blending it up with apples and this and that. Nice. And by the time it was time, like the end, I think I went, he was born in August and this was my first summer baby too. <laughs> summer babies, that heat is a different story. <laughs> um, no, it wasn't. Number two was a summer baby. So I take that back. He was a summer baby number four. That heat was a whole different story. But the driving, I think, really took a toll on me. But um, I think it was like maybe June or July they had me they start being home yeah so I had like a month and a half or so to just like get stuff going and do all the stuff that I knew in my knowledge it may work it may not have worked but for me thank god it worked because by the time it was the end I had no protein in my urine hmm. um went into labor I knew I was gonna go natural nothing I wasn't trying to do anything by then they weren't worried about me anymore because once you've had a c-section 
every consecutive time, like the first time you try a feedback, they're worried, you know, is the uterus going to burst? Is, you know, anything going to happen? You know, they told me to wait 18 months before I could get pregnant again. So I was three years before I got pregnant with my second. So I was good on that aspect. So by the time I was baby number four, they weren't worried because um, I had done three VBACs, two VBACs mm -hmm. successfully by then. So everything went well with him, pushed him out. Um, labor went really fast, I think. Mm -hmm. Pushed him out and he um, he was a boy. <laughs> I didn't know what he was, y'all, because I didn't, I didn't want to know. I was like, I'm going to do the ultimate gender reveal. <laughs> Came out a boy. My mom was like, don't do that again, okay? Because the look on your face was so disappointing. Oh, really? Oh. Right, when I got pregnant with my fifth, she was like, find out, girl. Find out from the beginning. because you, you can't go through with another not finding out. Because you, you, the look on your face was so such a shock. Because all the stuff that I had gone through with the protein in my urine, I hadn't gone through any of that stuff with any of my other pregnancies. So I was like, this got to be a girl. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was not. It was not. So that was a good um labor and delivery experience it went real fast um and then my fifth he I thought he was gonna be a girl because from the beginning I had weird stuff happening I had this rash that developed under my breast at mm -hmm. around six weeks it was right on the side of where my heart is mm -hmm. so that freaked me out yeah I went to the emergency room and I have pictures of it till this day of this rash that developed and it's scarred, but the scar has gone. It's faded a little bit. Um, didn't know scarred. what that was. They were like, we think it's yeast. Mm -hmm. I've never had that before. And I'm not a big buoy girl. Right, right, right. So I'm not a girl that has experienced like sweating under my breast or any of that. Right. I've never had that. The only sweating I've had is when I work out. Mm-hmm. So they had to put me on these, these creams and stuff. And I was like, oh, this has to be a girl. Cause this is already messed up from the beginning. And I was like, <laughs> are these twins? Cause I was doing all kinds of readings, um, researching. And they were like all, you know, signs of twins and the, you know, the stuff that you go through to go through Googling. Right. And so it was a pretty good pregnancy. I didn't have any issues with blood pressure. I didn't have any issues with um protein in my urine none of that but towards the end he was not trying to come out mm -hmm. I was in labor for like a week I would go into labor I would be contracting um every five minutes and then it'd go back to eight minutes and then to 20 minutes it went like that for a whole day week y'all before I was like okay enough is enough because by then I was doing all the stuff to to kick labor into gear because they I was super geriatric in their mind because throughout the whole pregnancy they wanted me to go in to um do ultrasounds every month and then last trimester it was every week I didn't do it y'all I didn't I didn't do it because first of all the insurance wasn't even paying for that stuff and mm -hmm. I'm like there's nothing else going on besides the fact that I'm black and I'm 40. I would mm -hmm. be by the time I delivered mm -hmm. and I'm like, there's nothing else going on. Why are y'all putting the stressors on me? And this was not my, my practice. Cause they sent me my practice. I was still seeing them, but they also sent me to a high risk because you have to go be screened by the high risk mm -hmm. and then 
And when they say everything is fine, you come back. But the high risk was like, you're going to be 40 by the time you deliver. We want this and that and the other. So you got to do all these things. And I I was calling and canceling appointments. Yes, I don't, I'm not telling y'all to do the same. This is what I did. So, you know, by the time I was tired, by the time I got to um, labor, I was, I was making sure I was trying to do all kinds of things because they were like, if you're 41 weeks, no, they were like, if you're 40 weeks and you have not gone into labor, we're inducing. They hadn't met me before because that wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to do that. What? <laughs> I wasn't going to do that because I was going to wait may, at least, I mean, you're not going to give me 41 weeks. Nothing is going on. Like nothing is wrong with me. Why are we inducing? Mm-hmm. let the baby do what the baby we could have miscalculated for all we know for a week yes, right you I'll know? That too. so yeah so I was trying to do all kinds of things I was bouncing on balls I was walking up the hill in my house my my neighborhood to try to get labor to go to kick in so when you know I actually was in labor and it was just going back and forth it was not sticking I was like really pushing in high gear, like dancing on the exercise ball, um, doing all kinds of stuff that I know and my mom knew to do. So labor kicked in about a week later. And the thing is that I was like, okay, this baby's about to be born on my birthday. It's going to be born on my 40th birthday. Cause he was due like first on the 5th of this. No, he was doing the 6th of December. Mm-hmm. And my husband's birthday is like the 5th of December. I'm November 29th. So my birthday came, went, nothing happened. Then he was due, oh, that's the other thing. So when they measure, you know, they measure, you You go by the last period. And I'm very meticulous mm-hmm. about my stuff. I know when my period comes on, I always mark it in the calendar. I always mark when it goes off. So I know. So when mm-hmm. I went in and I told them, she was like, oh, you're measuring this. The baby's actually due on this date. Whatever date it is, the reason why it's important is because it messed with that 40 week situation where they were telling me by 40 weeks, right. I would have to be induced if I wasn't labor. So I didn't like the dates. They were first, it was December 15th, then it was December 10th. And I was like, see, this thing is not, this measuring system y'all are using is not really accurate when it came to the high risk doctor. And so when I actually went into labor, it was my husband's birthday. <laughs> went into labor on his birthday for real, for real, where it was like really sticking. Because again, it was the week before I had gone into labor. My husband and I are six days apart. So my birthday, I was going through the zip and the zapping, but it wasn't sticking. But my husband's birthday went into labor. I labored at home and I knew it was getting, I, I was like, I better be like eight centimeters when I get to this hospital. Because this thing was going, it was, it was going hard. So when I got to the hospital, I was six or seven centimeters dilated. My uterus was high. And they say that happens sometimes when you've had a lot of births. So I was baby number five. My uterus was high. Um, what does high mean? Like, so, like, like when they position? go in, uh-huh. I guess, I guess that's what that means. Because when they go in, they have to dig Oh, okay. deeper to see how, how dilated you are and that's can get, get a little uncomfortable I'm gonna tell y'all by then I was tired as hell because again I had been laboring for a week and then I labored at home um before I was like okay it's time to go in to the hospital I was drained so when I got to the hospital labor was intense 
Mm. And I was six and a half, seven centimeters. And I think I, I was maybe two hours in and I said, please give me the epidural. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take it. And the good thing is, and I don't know why this was never offered to me before, mm-hmm. maybe it's the way the hospital did their stuff, or maybe it's the way technology has advanced, but the epi that they gave me, the epidural that they gave me allowed me within an hour after labor to be able to walk. I was still able to feel my feet. What kind like, of epidural was it? they didn't call it the walking epidural. I know I've heard that there is a walking epidural. I wasn't able to walk, but I was able to feel my feet because I remember telling the the anesthesiologist, I was like, "Uh, I don't think you did this right because I could wiggle my toes. And she's like, yes, that's what we want. We want that. Do you know the name of it? Girl, I'm going to have to look. I'm going to look at my stuff. But yeah, it exists. So, But contraction-wise... I felt the pressure of contraction, but no pain. Okay, so you felt your belly tightening. I felt my belly tightening. Before, when I've had epidurals before, I didn't really feel any of that. Interesting. Correctly. Interesting. But I remember what I hate about epidurals is like your brain is like feet, leg move, and nothing moves. And I'm like, I hate that feeling. Or I would touch my thigh and I kind of felt a pressure, but I really didn't feel like somebody could really like cut me and I wouldn't feel it. Interesting. But with this time around, I felt my, le- my feet, my, my toes can move and I could feel the pressure. Somebody touched my thigh and I felt pressure in my abdomen, but I didn't feel the pain, which is awesome. And that was great. So that was a great labor. I, I pushed him right out. Um, he had no issues. Even I was still in denial that he was a boy though. Because I was saying, what what is the likelihood that you get it wrong? Well, looks like my family makes boys, so <laughs> right. So I'm on baby number five, five boys. So I've had five labor and deliveries. I oh, actually different. lost one in between baby number four and baby number five. I had a second miscarriage, but pregnancy. I mean, we can go through the ringer as parents, and I know people who had no issues, have had multiple babies, nothing. Mm-hmm. But we can go through the ringer and we can have these traumatic experiences. And like I told you guys, we don't really have the time often to grieve or to feel. I feel like baby number three is when I, I kind of felt I had a mini um, postpartum depression going on. I feel like there was a lot going on in my life during that time. It, he's 18 months apart from my second one. So the second one was like 10 months when I got mm-hmm. pregnant. So we weren't planning on it, but he was surely welcome. None of my kids are mistakes because, you know, I know mm-hmm. the risks of not <laughs> using protection. And, and again, he was 10 months. So I wasn't doing anything because I was breastfeeding. Um, so yeah, I think I, I think I kind of went through a little mini, I remember one of my friends had gone through postpartum depression and I contacted her and I asked her what was that like? So mm. I feel like I'm going through the same thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was between that and baby number four that I started therapy. Mm. And okay. and so that actually, that really helped significantly. Absolutely. Yeah, just to talk to somebody, for sure. Absolutely. I used to think like, why do I need to talk to somebody? How does that help? Mm-hmm. How does that actually help me? But it does. It really, really does. It really does. Wow. 
you ever seen that? I mean, I know like this is like a totally different topic, but have you ever seen that? I've been seeing clips of clips of it on TikTok. Couples therapy on mm-hmm. HBO. No, it's oh, a, a show. Man. It's a it's show. A show with a legitimate oh. therapist. And I'm gonna send it to you because these clips are so interesting. Like couples really going to like Apache area, but you know, it's it's the same mentality. I thought like when I first saw, I was like, oh, how can a therapist help? How can this lady help? She's just sitting there listening. But the more and more I watch it, I'm like, nah, this lady's good. Look at her letting him know that he's a narcissist. Or right. look at her letting, you know, this lady know that she needs to work out some things in her childhood before progressing in life. So mm-hmm. I definitely, and especially seeing that pregnancy, the way that it was described to me, it was described to me from a pharmacist and I can't help but to agree with him. Mm-hmm. And this may sound horrible, but I don't mean this to sound horrible. Okay. Pregnancy is a disease process because the body is going through so much changes in such a short period of time. And it's so Mm -hmm. rapid that if it wasn't pregnancy, medical science would label this as this is such an acute on chronic condition or chronic and acute. Yes. I'm in total agreement. I always say you go through an inflammatory period mm-hmm. during pregnancy. Things, I mean, this is a natural state. We understand this. Things are growing faster than they, they should. Your body may or may not adapt. I always gain like 50 to 60 pounds in a 40 to uh-huh. 10 months mm-hmm. period. You, your body, that's not that's normal. Not normal. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I start gaining weight immediately. Like right. within the first, it, you know, people, some people are like, you know, and, and the books say this, you're not supposed to really start gaining weight supposedly until you're in your second trimester, you're supposed to try to stay stable. Not Joanne. I start gaining weight immediately. I'm probably 10 pounds in mm. by the time I'm hitting my second um, trimester, if not 20. This last pregnancy, I gained the most, like I was 217 pounds. What? I'm usually 140, 145-ish. Oh, my. I gain a lot. I gain a lot. Wow. So, you know, seeing that you have had, like, you know, everyone carries their, has a different birthing experience. You've mm-hmm. had some that were smooth sailing. You've had some that were traumatic and some that were more traumatic than others with Brother Preston over there. What advice would you give someone listening to this episode that, you know, maybe preparing for a traumatic experience or someone who has just gone through one. Okay. I mean, somebody, I mean, you never know a traumatic experience is going to happen or not. So I always say, be prepared with having things in place. First of all, make sure you got the people around you that you need. So who's going to be there in the hospital with you? Who is there with you right now towards your, as you're going through your pregnancy who's able to help and assist with things. If things, if you were to go into labor at seven months, God forbid, or eight Mm -hmm. months, whatever early term, who do you have around you that can help you? Who is the practice that you're following with? Like, do they, are you guys on one page with how you want things to, to happen? I think that's such primary foundation to have so that if things do go crazy, you already have your tribe. You already have the support because you're going to yeah. need that mental support. You're going to need that physical support. 
you're going to need assistance. Like if you, someone can't come to your home, like my mom has been able to, to cook right. and clean and take care of kids and all that stuff. Do you have the door dashes and the, and the Ubers in line? Like, right. do you know what you're going to be doing? You know, right. I have friends who just had ba- a baby on, on Thursday and they had, they have their plan set. Like they have a list, they have, um, things that they know they're going to need and they have their tribe. I just cooked this morning and I'm about, once we're done here, um, to go deliver, you know, some food to, to them right. so that they can have, because that's how, that's my love language and how one of my love right. language, how I show people love is cooking for them. So I made a big pot. I mean, my mom, this was before I even had kids. She probably had, I don't know how she knew I was going to need huge. I want to say huge pots. It takes two burners to cook on these things. Mm. I had pots and I made a big pot of rice and a big pot of legume, Haitian legume and Haitian rice, Haitian coconut rice. And I'm about to bring them um, a good amount of it. I'm going to leave some, of course, for my family. So I don't have to cook tomorrow. (laughs) But um, yeah, so you need to have that stuff in place so that once your baby's here, you're not like trying to figure out how you're going to eat, especially if you've already had kids you know, this is not your first and you're not trying to figure out how the other kids are going to be taken care of, how the other other kids are going to be fed. You need to have that. So prepare that. But the traumatic experience itself, once it's happening, no one can really prepare you in the sense of what's about to happen because everybody's story and experience is different and what's occurring. So you never know. But having those other things in line will help you not go crazy. Sure. And I mean, I don't mean to sound like a pessimist, but I know my aunt, who's actually younger than me, y'all figure out the math, y'all, y'all realize what, what, what occurred. But um, she didn't share this with me until her daughter was about two, that she knew in utero that as soon as she delivered, her daughter had to have open heart surgery. She knew as soon as she delivered. Perfect. So I'm like, I don't call her auntie because of course she's, I'm older. <laughs> but I'm like, how did you prepare? How come you didn't call anyone? How come you didn't let anyone know? And she was like, Kim, I was in my zone. I was just zoned in. So, you know, just thinking about something like that, you know, knowing that like, yeah, you're happy that you're pregnant, but as soon as the child is born, you can't even hold the child. The child has to be flown or go somewhere. Right specialty and I'm just like right god forbid wow. leave the hospital you right. know not in a hospital that has a NICU you're right. in a small city or a small rural area mm-hmm. but I think you you mentioned something which was quite integral which we don't think about and that is food and I think that food is comforting it is healing it is nourishing yeah um you have this dinner-sized plate wound in your uterus after you deliver and you need it. In order for you to give the proper nutrition and care to this little person that you've been carrying around, you need to, you know, so I just absolutely love that. There was my dentist, she, um, dental hygienist, she gave birth and she was saying she didn't cook for like four months because there's something at her church where she puts her name on a list and people the whole church is dropping off breakfast, lunch. Oh my God. So, I don't know what church you going to, okay? Because that, listen, they need to implement that everywhere. 
Because right. I mean, I have people who DM me and they're like, oh my goodness, I wish I had the support that you have um, after you, and I just could not imagine not having that support. Right. And nutrition is so, it's so it's overlooked. Yeah. And, but it, it comes in necessary, it comes in clutch because it can bring up so many positive endorphins and memories and feelings and nourishment for the body. So I definitely agree. It's absolutely. That. And we may need to do an episode on this because, you know, people often are like, Joanne, you, you, you get back to, you snap back. That's the term people like to use. You all know. You get mm-hmm. back to, you snap back so fast. And I'm like, no, no, I don't. No, I don't. Mm-hmm. I, the, the, the nourishing of my body is so important to me immediately mm-hmm. after postpartum, specifically when I'm making sure that my milk is stable. I'm not focused on weight loss at all. And for me, breastfeeding is not a weight loss tool. I know a lot mm-hmm. of people, they lose weight during breastfeeding. It doesn't happen for me like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine with that because my goal is feeding my baby and making sure my milk is stabilized. So yeah, nourishment is so important. It is so important postpartum. Yeah. So with that being said, listen, if you are a mom that has, you know, or a mom to be, just know that we're all in this together. Like we, you're, you're not, you may not be the only one that has experienced what you're experiencing and find a community if you don't have that support at home, find a community. There's so many communities on social media, Facebook, join one of them, ask questions, you know, ask me questions. Listen, people DM me all the time asking me questions about pregnancy, postpartum. And I'm always and I'm ready. Always to asking you too. Yeah, always like- asking me. I'm always ready to answer. I'm an open book because I feel like it's going to help somebody. Right. It's going to help somebody and, and I want that to happen. So, you know, do what you need to do so that you can be okay during this journey of motherhood. And it is a beautiful journey, but do what you need to do, you know, to get there, to be okay. Um, but as usual, please like, share, share this with a mom. If you're not a mom, share this with mom to be, and we will see you guys next time. All right. Bye everyone. Bye.